You're listening to episode 51 of the Sustainable Minimalist Podcast. You are listening to the Sustainable Minimalist Podcast, a show about living simply and sustainably with your family. Here's your host, Stephanie Safarian. Hi there, and welcome back. If you are at all interested in minimalism, chances are good you've come across today's guest before. And that's because I am talking with the Joshua Becker of Becoming Minimalist. He's on the show today to discuss minimalism as it applies to the holidays, especially about how to beat back, so to speak, all that holiday clutter that somehow manages to just sneak right into our homes unannounced and park itself in all those hiding places. We're also talking today about Joshua's new book, which is titled The Minimalist Home, and it is out now. Highlights of today's conversation can be found in this week's show notes, which you can find at mamaminimalist.com forward slash 051, mamaminimalist.com forward slash 051. Let's just get right into it. No more chit chat. Enjoy the episode. Joshua, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. How are you? Oh, I am wonderful. Thank you for hosting me. This is fantastic. Yes, I must say this is quite an honor. I love everything you're doing in the minimalist movement. And for anybody who doesn't know you, which probably I doubt that's the case, but just in case, if there's anybody out there listening today who doesn't know who Joshua Becker is, why don't we start by you telling us all about yourself? Sure. Well, there are actually are a whole lot of people who don't know who I am. So thanks for the thanks for the chance to introduce myself. Um yeah, Joshua Becker, um married 20 years, uh have two children, 16 and 12. I found minimalism 10 and a half years ago. Uh actually it was my neighbor who introduced me to the idea um and the lifestyle. Um at the time, actually, the weekend that I first heard about minimalism and was committed to uh, making it a part of who I am, I started a website, uh, becomingminimalist.com. Actually, back then, it was becomingminimalist.wordpress.com. It's just on, the, on their free version. And uh, I, I started the website as a online diary, a journal um, where I could write about the process, what we are getting rid of, what we are keeping, what lessons we are learning along the way. Um, it was just going to be my own little um, personal spot in the world uh, online. But it uh, continued to grow and grow. And so um, we now have over a million readers every single month. And I uh, have been just full-time uh, writing and speaking and um, introducing people to the idea of minimalism and trying to trying to serve as my neighbor's role in my life uh, to as many people as I possibly can by introducing them to the idea and the lifestyle. You just came out with a new book, The Minimalist Home, and we will absolutely talk about the book in a little bit. But before we do that, I have more pressing questions, and it has to do with the season we are in, which is, of course, the holidays. I would love to talk to you about handling holiday clutter. It just kind of appears, doesn't it? I have no idea where it comes from. And 
as a minimalist, I like to think that I have it all under control, but there's something about the holiday clutter I need your help with. Indeed. Uh, indeed. Lots of people do. Lots of people do. Um, I'll say this. We found um, one thing that, that was true. Yeah, we've made a lot of changes in how we, how we handle the holidays. Um, I uh, found minimalism in, um, in May, actually over um, Memorial Day weekend. And so we began going through our home. And when Christmas came, it was about six months into the process of getting rid of uh, most of the things out of our house. And um, so I was, I was pretty worried going into my first holiday season about um, what it was going to mean and um, what it was going to look like. And um, yeah, we, uh, we started making changes right, right then that, that very first year. So what does a minimalist holiday look like at your house these days? We, what we did was, uh, and yeah, I think of decorations, for example. Um, we, uh, we like Christmas and, uh, it's an important holiday, uh, for us. And, um, I remember going into the, the basement and pulling out, I don't know, three or four boxes full of decorations of things that we would, you know, put all over the house. And, uh, my wife did it and we set up our home in our typical, um, holiday fashion that, that very first year. And, um, it was after the holiday season that we decided to minimize our holiday decorations by simply saying, we are just going to keep one box of decorations, uh, rather than three, let's just cut it down to one. Let's just keep our our absolute favorite decorations, uh, the ones that mean the most to us. Maybe there's history in them or uh, religious significance to them. And so we, we, that's it. We just packed up one box to go back into the basement as opposed to three. And um, I'm thinking back over the last 10 years, we've, we've stayed pretty close to um, having just that one box. Our kids are older now. So I think there's another smaller box of their stuff that's been added to the mix, but um, but that's how we that's how we decorate now. Um, our house is still Christmas themed, but it's much less than it was before, and every decoration has significant meaning to us as opposed to before, where I don't know stuff was on sale at Target or something, and so we had, we had bought it and thought it would be cool for Christmas, and um, but. In reality, it didn't mean all that much to us. Mm. You mentioned in the new book about having a physical boundary, like one or two plastic bins as the maximum for the amount of holiday decorations you keep. I'm wondering if in your home, is there every year like a constant renegotiation of what goes into that physical boundary? Or is it very streamlined and very simple after 10 years of being a minimalist? Um, there is... So in my home, uh, there, the only negotiation that takes place is within my wife's mind. Uh, so, um, I, I don't, I don't care a ton, you know, I don't, I don't pick, you know, which decorations go up and which ones we, we hold on to. Um, but I'm, I'm sure for her there, there's always, you know, which ones am I going to keep this year and which ones am I going to get rid of? There are, there are far less that come into our home now, but still kids are at school. So they come home with things and, um, 
and you know, uh, loved ones give things that might be Christmas themed. And so I, I always think it's almost impossible to keep nothing from coming into your home over the course of the year or over the holiday. Um, but as far as negotiation, it's, it's all in, in her mind and in her decision process, but it's certainly much easier now than, than it would have been going from, from three to one. But um, yeah, I'm, I'm a big physical boundary fan. I, I think that that's very helpful um, in, in a lot of different spaces and a lot of different areas. And it, to me, it, you know, it forces questions of importance and um, what's really important and what's really worth keeping and, and, um, and what isn't. Another concept you mentioned in the book was clutter cost. I'm wondering if you could explain that a little bit more. Yeah. So I, I write in the book about, um, you know, there's, there's a burden to the things that we have um, and there's some benefit to the things that we have. Um, and the question I think we need to be asking is, you know, do the possessions in my life bring more benefit to my life or have they become a, a burden? Um, almost like a, a scale a little bit. Is it more of a burden um, or is it more of a benefit? And most people don't really stop to consider how much of a burden their possessions have become. Um, you know, if, you know, for reaching people here who have embraced minimalism and and are trying to apply it to their lives that like they have become more noticing, they've become more observant um, of the burden that their possessions have become. And so <clears throat> I think then, you know, we start thinking about holiday decorations, even the holiday gifts that we give. Um, and I think it's a valid, I think it's a valid question. I, I don't think I've, in the book, I, I mentioned specifically, you know, the cost of clutter in terms of holidays. Um, but you uh, you raise a good point there, and and you ask a good question. Um, do the decorations that we have, you know, are they really adding to the holiday season, or are they distracting from the holiday season? Um, is the financial burden and the time burden and the space burden of of carrying the decorations forward or the gifts that we receive or the gifts that we give. Yeah. Have they, have they become, have they become far more of a burden to our life than, than a benefit? Good question. I'm thinking in my, in terms of my own house, as we decorate for the holidays, um, you know, one physical barrier bin has somehow we've only lived in this house for three years, but has somehow now become four bins. And of course the more, stuff you have to put out, that means more time. It's now taking an entire weekend to decorate the house. So thank you for the holiday decoration related uh, motivation. I will totally be downsizing the four bins of decorations. But another part of holiday clutter, of course, comes in the form of gifts. I'm wondering, what would you say to families who just go over the top with, I don't want to say meaningless gifts, but gifts that aren't truly needed or loved. How would a family who's just been mindlessly giving get more incrementally mindful as they show their love through presence? Sure. And then let me ask a clarifying question. Um, Our immediate family, uh, me, my wife, and my kids, or do you mean 
grandparents, um, aunts and uncles, brothers and sisters, you know, like, uh, do you mean extended family or immediate family? Because we certainly have more control over the gifts that we give in our immediate family than we do extended family. Let's start with the immediate family and then we'll extend out to the extended family slightly. Okay. Yeah, good. Uh, perfect. Yes. In, in our immediate family, um, we obviously have much more control and, um, what we have begun doing, actually, we started years and years ago, um, not 20 years ago, but since we found minimalism, is um, we give our kids uh, three gifts, uh, one thing they want, one thing they need, and then one experience to share with the family. Um, and so need tends to be, I don't know, a clothing item or maybe a new sport that they're getting into as they they grow and, and find new passions. And so there, there's always needs that we have. And so we, we give one gift and it would be like a, like a nice gift. Um, so I always think my, my son needs shirts to wear, but it doesn't have to be a Tom Brady Jersey, you know? So, so we give him like a Tom Brady Jersey, um, as his need. Cause he obviously has to wear clothes. And then one thing they want. So, you know, if it's, uh, my son's into video games, um, uh, my daughter's into, um, um, she's been into doing some, some art stuff. Um, and so, so one thing they want, and then one experience to share with the family. So for the past several years, we've done a gift card to their favorite restaurant, uh, enough to take out the whole family and then they can decide, um, whenever they use it over the course of the year. We always do a big thing. We make, I make them order and all sorts of stuff, but, um, so that's what we've done. And, and I've found that that you can control that pretty well. And um, you may be in a family where you usually give a lot of gifts to your children and you're worried, oh man, if I pull the rug out from underneath them, they're, you know, this is going to be the worst Christmas ever. And the, you know, this is just the culture that we built in our family and I can't change it, but you, you can, um, you can, and you can still make it special and nice and, uh, just tell your kids that we're, you know, we're going to start doing something different and uh, this is why we're doing it this way going forward. And um, they'll, they'll be just fine. Um, kids will, kids will enjoy Christmas regardless. So, so that's what we've done in the immediate family. The extended family, I think, raises some other issues and some other questions. <laughs> like? <laughs> <laughs> so grandparents, I think are probably the, you know, the, the big ones that I think of. I I have taken the philosophy first and foremost that I believe gift giving is a love language. Um, it is something that human beings have practiced for thousands of years to show love and respect and admiration. We we give gifts. Um, and so this is something that we do to express our our love to others. Um and I don't want to take away that opportunity from my parents to show love to my children uh, or to me. And so I don't think the answer is um, we don't want any gifts. Uh, I think the answer is um, thank you for giving gifts. Here are some gifts that we need. Uh, here are some gifts that we want, uh, perhaps consumables. Um, so redirecting their gift giving habits into something that, 
that would be more beneficial to us, um, which usually fall into, I think, three categories, um, needs over wants, actually four categories I think of, uh, needs over wants, quality over quantity. So if you're going to spend $100, how about two nice gifts rather than 10 little plastic ones? Uh, experiences over possessions and consumables over non-consumables. Those are four ways that we can kind of direct their gift-giving habits into something that doesn't become burdensome clutter um, in our homes and in our lives. And in order to do that, we need to be good about giving, we need to be good about giving gift lists um, and we need to be on the ball, getting them out early, I think, to people um, with plenty of options in there so they know what you need or what your kids need, what they're getting into, what experiences your kids might appreciate, um, lessons or memberships or um, tickets, uh, those types of things. And uh, I find usually that the first year of this um, grandparents don't care all that much and still get whatever they are going to give. <laughs> and and the second in the second year, maybe not either, but you know, three, two, three, four years down the road of saying, no, like I'm being serious. These are the gifts that we would appreciate most. Um, I think that they start to they start to understand that you actually mean it um, and and kind of latch on to it a little bit a little bit better. Yes, I love all those suggestions, and specifically the one where you say redirect them by having a list of needs or like very specific wants at the ready. Don't wait for them to ask for it. Have it have it there so that they can be more easily redirected. Yeah, yeah. And, and you need to be more creative than money and gift cards, uh, you know, because some people don't want to give money and don't want to give gift cards. They want to give something very specific. Um, so I think that's helpful. One thing that, that I saw that I remember, um, if, it's, if it's helpful to some people going into this holiday season, if they've, um, like I said, we found minimalism in May and we spent out six months going through the house. And when Christmas came, I was... I was very worried. We just spent all this time getting rid of stuff and what was Christmas going to look like and how much was going to come in. And certainly my kids came home with more toys than, you know, than, than I would have liked or would have gotten for them for themselves. But I did find to my surprise that it, that the clutter felt less cluttery than previous years and I think because I had gone through the toy room and we had minimized their toys to a, they were two and five when we first found minimalism. Um, we had minimized their toys to a level that there was almost like room to add new toys. And so Christmas wasn't as previous years had been clutter on top of an already cluttered toy room. It was clutter on top of a toy room that was manageable where it was. And so, you know, three, four months down the road, we were able to revisit the toy room again and say, okay, so which of the new toys that you got for Christmas are you using? What are you not using? Uh, What became a favorite toy? What didn't become a favorite toy? What old toys got replaced by new ones? 
Um, and I just felt like we were in a, a much better position to even evaluate um, what the new toys were that, that came in um, that first year than we had been in previous years. If it's encouraging to anyone who's worried about going into their first Christmas. Absolutely. It sounds as though your six months of minimizing created some breathing room in your home. So once Christmas did come around, it wasn't clutter on top of clutter. You could you had a little space to really be able to analyze it and make decisions. Yeah. And yeah, even going back to our previous conversation about, you know, new decorations that emerge and, and come in, if it's you know, if you're already overwhelmed with clutter, then it's hard to evaluate what's best. Um, but when you make those decisions and then next year, a few new things come in and you're like, all right, are these worth keeping or are they not worth keeping? Um, much easier to evaluate at that point for sure. I'd love to do a complete pivot and talk about your new book, which just came out, The Minimalist Home. Now, this isn't your first book. So I'm wondering, why did you write this one? Yeah. Um, good question. Good question. Um <laughs> I, uh, I have a couple uh, self-published books, um, Simplify, which is uh, really short, um, 30, 40 pages, uh, Clutter-Free with Kids, which um, I self-published specifically for parents. Um, my book that came out uh, two and a half years ago, The More of Less, uh, was my first traditionally published book, I guess you could say. And it is uh, by far the the most in-depth conversation um, I've had about minimalism. I wrote it after six or seven years about of thinking about this stuff as opposed to, to one or two years. Um, and so it's very good. It's very in-depth. It is very much, I, I wrote it specifically to introduce people to the idea of minimalism uh, and the benefits of it and trying to change thought processes, trying to convince people to own less stuff. So it is very much the why of minimalism. But since then, I have noticed that there are, um, that there are people who want more than just why do I become a minimalist and are looking for specifically how do I do, how do I do this and how do I apply this into my life? And so the minimalist home is the how-to of minimalism um, from a family perspective. Um, and uh, it it goes through uh, room by room, um, steps in each room, things to think about in each room, uh, and begin implementing this lifestyle in your in your own specific space. I was... I was pretty worried writing it, to be very honest with you, um, to be honest and transparent. I, 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 I don't, I, I tend to shy away from very specifics. Here's what to get rid of. Here's what to keep. Here's what a minimalist does. Here's what a minimalist doesn't do. Because I, I don't like any of those conversations. I think minimalism um, is very different from one person to another and one family to another and one living situation to another and one career to another and one passion to another. It, it varies um, very significantly. Um, but I think the minimalist home strikes a very good balance of that. And, and it can say, you know, here's what to think about when attacking this room. 
Here's a plan to go into each room. Here's some questions to ask about each room. And then here's the best step forward, making it work for, for your home and, and for your life. So I hope, I don't know, I, you read the book. I hope you, I hope you read that in there um, as you're doing it, as you read it. But yes, that's the reason for uh, The Minimalist Home. I would absolutely agree with you. It's not preachy. It's not rigid. Every chapter, you're right, every chapter is kind of like another room in a home. Every chapter gives practical advice for anybody, wherever they are in the stage of their minimalist journey. So thank you for writing it. I can see how it would be hugely beneficial to many aspiring minimalists. But I do have an important question, or what I think is an important question, which is this. The book has the Becker method. There are an awful lot of decluttering methods out there. So I'm wondering in your opinion and in your view, how is the Becker method different? The Becker method is based on the steps that I took in my own life um, and in my own home. And it is based on... um, I have a I have an online course um, that I help people go through this process in their home, and twenty five thousand people have have gone through the course and implemented these principles in their home through it. And so it is based on what I have seen to be successful, not just in my own life, but repeated over and over and over again. And probably the the most important principle, uh, the most important thing that I believe to be true is that number one, this is hard work. Um, this is decluttering, minimizing your home. That this this is hard work for a lot of people. It was hard work for me, and it takes time and effort, and it takes resolve, and it takes. Um, th- there's a journey that we go on, both internally and externally, as we apply these principles, and so the method starts easy and gets harder. Um, I've spoken on minimalism, I don't know, hundreds of times. Thousands is probably too many, must be hundreds, (laughs) hundreds of times. And every time I talk about minimalism and owning less to people who have never considered it, um, minds always run to, yeah, but what about this? Like, how am I ever going to get rid of my books or my sentimental things or my yarn stash or how am I ever going to get through my attic or my garage? And I I always tell people, you don't start in the hardest place in your home. Like, like don't start with your kids' things. Don't start by attacking the attic or the basement, or you don't start by getting through, going through your books or your clothes, if fashion is really important to you. Start easy. Start with the things that you know you can get rid of. Start in those spaces where you know you can have accomplishment and victory, and you can begin experiencing the benefits of owning less in those spaces, and then build up that muscle a little bit. And then when you eventually get to your book collection, you'll be like, okay, I've I've gone everywhere else in my home. I've accomplished everything else. Now I'm ready for this. How am I going to apply these principles to my books um, or to my hobbies um, or to whatever 
uh, sentimental thing, you know, might be, might be most difficult for you. Mm. You touch on the importance of incrementalism. I had a good friend on the show a while back, Jen Panero, and she said, it's all about picking the low lying fruit first, the stuff that's easy. And then you get the ladder to go up to the the next level. I think I feel like that's what you're saying essentially is you start easy, gain the confidence and then go for the things that are out of reach currently. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Because I think as we as we recognize the benefits, uh, which is one of the which is one of the important principles in the book, as we notice how our life is improving by owning less, we are more motivated and inspired to go grab the ladder and get more fruit down, um, because we see, hey, this is great. I have more time, and I have more money. I have more energy. I have more freedom. I'm you know, living is a better example for my kids. I'm living a better life for the environment. I'm, you know, seeing all these benefits in my life to owning less. Where else can I do it? And where else can I apply it? And where is my ladder so I can go get some of that harder fruit and enjoy even more of these benefits along the way? Hmm. Where can listeners purchase your book? It, uh, it is available everywhere, um, release December 18th, and um, certainly can be ordered online. It's uh, available in uh, e-formats, available as an audiobook, and um, should be in bookstores as well. Joshua, thank you so much for coming on. Remind listeners one more time where you can be found online. Sure. Becomingminimalist.com is the home base for everything I do and um, people can find me there. Thank you again. This was an enlightening conversation. It is my pleasure. Thank you for having me. I so hope you enjoyed that interview with Joshua Becker of Becoming Minimalist. Check out this week's show notes at mamaminimalist.com forward slash 051. And if you haven't rated the show yet, but you are receiving enjoyment and benefit, maybe this is the week that you rate the Sustainable Minimalist Podcast wherever you get your podcasts. And thank you. Now, on next week's show, we are talking with Julia Mooney. She is the teacher who has vowed to wear the same gray dress to work for the first 100 days of school in efforts of calling attention to the unsustainable and unethical practices of the fast fashion industry. Maybe if you follow me on Facebook, you saw I posted an article on her from USA Today. Since posting that article, she has been a guest on Good Morning America. She's been interviewed by the BBC. She's really just making the rounds. She's gaining a lot of attention from this little experiment. So we're talking to Julia Mooney next week, and I will see you then. Take care.